happy Father's Day again. Just wanted to repeat that. Uh, uh, and thinking also, Graham Allen is a new father as of 1 a.m., so congrats to Graham and Abby. Uh, but yeah, it's a special day for fathers, and uh, uh, we just you know, honor you today more than other days, and just thank you for the ways that you serve your families, that you serve your children, uh, that you're an example. And, but I also want to recognize that this day can be uh, difficult for some, whether that's just because of loss or um, because of... Um, difficult relationships and things like that, and so I just hope that today you can feel comforted uh, in this body with us today, uh, and we'll have uh, a Father in, in God who, who promises to love us, who promises to never leave us uh, or forsake us. So, uh, last week we started a series going through characters in Scripture. Uh, Jamie uh, headed it off with looking at the character of Abraham, and today we're going to be looking at uh, Aaron. Uh, the brother of Moses, you might know him as uh, Aaron the high priest. Uh, and so just quickly before we do that, I'm just going to pray shortly again, and then we'll jump into it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just, yeah, we ask that today that you would speak to your people, uh, that you'd be faithful, uh, and that uh, you'd allow me to be a faithful messenger. It is in Christ's name. Amen. So you've heard before that knowing the context of a passage is really crucial to getting a true understanding of what's going on. It's, it's the thing that helps us dis- distinguish between maybe one interpretation or another. Uh, knowing the story behind the story helps us apply it to our own. And so we look at passages in the New Testament and books like 1 Corinthians and we ask, okay, what's going on in Corinth that is making Paul write this letter to the Corinthians? Or you could ask the same for in Ephesians or Colossians. And when we get to passages of scripture that fit the genre of narrative, it's also important to look for context there. Uh, If you think back to, you might not have to think very far back, Uh, some of you might have to think further back, but looking back to high school, uh, when you're in literature classes or whatever it is, and how uh, in story you plot the rising action, the climax, the falling action, Uh, you look at character development from the first moment you see them to the last moment, you look at hero's journey, those sort of things. And what's awesome about the Bible is that it also has story. Uh, and these elements are at play. There's moments when the story speeds up and slows down to, to gain our focus. And when looking at the characters in Scripture, like Aaron, like Abraham, it's important to see uh, their trajectory. Uh, what do we know uh, from their beginnings? And so today we're going to be in Exodus 32, but we're going to to look back first at our first encounter with Aaron and the moments where he develops as a person, as a child of God, to the moment of Exodus 32. So we're first introduced to Aaron when Israel is still under captivity in Egypt. So it's been 400 years since uh, Israel first uh, began sojourning in the land of Egypt. And they've been under bondage, they've been under slavery. And God calls Aaron to go see his brother Moses in Midian, uh, in, mil- in the wilderness of Midian. And you get there, and Moses instructs Aaron that uh, Aaron and Moses would be God's instruments in uh, the deliverance of God's people from the yoke of slavery under Pharaoh. And you can uh, imagine just the joy that comes with knowing that after all this time, after crying out to the Lord, that he has finally heard their cry, that God is going to move after, finding, uh, after 400 years. It's a joyous time, but it's also a daunting task for Aaron and Moses. 
Uh, they would be going up before the elders of Israel, trying to convince them that this is what our God has, uh, has determined for us, and they tended to be pretty cynical. They'd be going up to Pharaoh, who is the most powerful man in the known world at this time, and demanding that he let his entire workforce just go. This isn't exactly uh, an easy task, and uh, probably a lot of fears we see uh, in Exodus, uh, the fears that Moses has, and uh, the fears that Aaron has as well. But there's comfort in knowing that this is the Lord's plan for them, and there's also comfort for Aaron in knowing that he has Moses by his side. We see, we see a, a dynamic unfold where God instructs Moses, and then Moses goes on to instruct Aaron. And so when Moses tells Aaron to extend his arms, uh, perform a sign, God sends plagues, he sends sign through the hands of Aaron. He uses Aaron's staff to perform signs, but every time he receives God's instruction through the person of Moses. So there's comfort knowing that he, he has Moses with him. Uh, Exodus 4, uh, uh, chapter 4, uh, talks about this as well, and it says that um, he, uh, that is Aaron, will speak to the people for you, Moses, and it will be as if, uh, um, uh, it will be as if he were your mouthpiece and if you were God to him. Exodus 7 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. There's an assurance that Aaron has in knowing that he has Moses by his side because through Moses comes the words of God. Through Moses comes his instruction of what he's supposed to do. And so uncertainty and fear, that these moments, they come up in, for the Israelites even after they leave Egypt, after the Lord rescues, him, uh, rescues them. They, uh, they go to battle with the Amalekites, this warring pagan nation, and they're just... Uh, laborers. But there's confidence knowing that in that moment, Aaron has Moses to instruct him of what God wants him to do. And the first time that Aaron and Moses, the people rise up and form an angry mob coming towards him saying, what are we going to do for food? Did Did God just bring us out here to die? There's comfort in knowing that Moses is there to bring in God's instruction. Which is why this passage is so, uh, this dynamic is so crucial to understanding Aaron because we get to Exodus 32. Well, uh, just like the other times, uncertainty strikes, the people rise up, fears are mounting, but this time Moses is gone. And he's not gone just for a day or a night, he's gone for 40 days. And Aaron is alone. So if you haven't turned there yet, Open uh, up your Bibles or turn to your Bibles to Exodus 32. And we're going to be looking at verses um, 1 through 29. So you're going to have to hang in there with me. It's quite a long story, but we'll get through it. I'll give you a moment to get there. All right, Exodus 32, starting at verse 1. It reads, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, saying, Come on, make us gods who can lead us. We don't know what has happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. 
So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are your gods who brought you from the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. Uh, After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you've brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why are you angry with your own people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, with such great power and such strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say that God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster that you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven, and I will give them all this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever." So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Then Moses turned and he went down the mountain and he held, his hands, uh, he held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, it sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no. It's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder and threw it into the water and forced the people to drink it. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, What did these people do to you? to make you bring such terrible sin upon them. Don't get so upset, my Lord Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, All of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Moses told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, about the 3, 000, uh, and about 3,000 people died that day. And Moses told the Levites, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, for you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. 
Today you have earned a blessing. There's a lot that we can learn uh, through Aaron and his actions that we see unfold in this passage. Uh, And there's one underlying idea is that um, when our fears and our insecurities are loud in our ears and God seems silent, we are called to hold fast to what God has already said as we wait for him to speak again. When our fears and insecurities are loud in our ears and God seems silent, we must hold fast to what God has already said while we wait for him to speak again. For Aaron, his fear, the first thing we see for Aaron is that his fear was louder than his faith. So at this point of the story, they're at the base of Mount Sinai. A hundred days ago, the Lord delivered them out of Egypt. The Lord split the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land. Uh, and the, Yahweh, this, this, their God, destroys the, most powerful, the, work, uh, the army of the most powerful nation in the world. They saw how powerful God was. That was three months ago at this point. Forty days ago, the people of Israel with Aaron, this, they commit to being faithful to God in covenant as God commits to be faithful to his people. So three months they saw how powerful God was. Forty days ago, they committed to being faithful to God And 40 days later, Aaron is making an idol and leading the people into sin. So what what has happened? What, What do you think is going on in Aaron's mind between saying, yes, I'll be faithful to you, God, this powerful God, and creating this idol? Think back and, and try to imagine those 40 days. I'm sure, you know, at first things were probably cheery and fine. Aaron uh, had been tasked by Moses saying, uh, while I'm gone, uh, hopefully it's not too long, it ends up being 40 days, but while I'm gone, you're responsible for handling disputes that rise between the people. And at first, you know, things are fine, they're in a new place, Mount Sinai is there, it's probably pretty, kids are kicking rocks around, parents are talking about the weather or politics, because that's what adults do. Uh, What really is there to be worried about, right? I mean, Moses, he's, he's just up there with God, right? He's, we're just chilling. And after all, I mean, we're still getting fed each day. We're getting manna in the morning and quail in the evening. We, we don't really have to worry about food. But how many days pass until they recognize that, you know, Moses is taking a little longer than we thought. And, you know, it was Moses that, through the Lord, Moses brought the manna and quail. And so is the reliability of our food in question. I mean, perhaps at night, their sleep was choppy and restless because they would close their eyes, maybe it was two weeks in, three weeks in, and you'd hear the sounds of war that they had with the Amalekites. They'd see visions of the battlefield and it would just penetrate their minds and, and make them irritable. And the question arises, you know, Moses has been gone for two weeks, three weeks now. We're still in foreign lands and with warring nations all around us. Are we vulnerable to attack? Last time when we were attacked, we had Moses, and now Moses is nowhere to be seen. Uncertainties rise. Vulnerability is felt. Insecurities are felt. At what point does Moses' absence mean that Yahweh is also absent? I mean, yes, 
Yahweh is powerful. We saw him split the Red Sea, you know, but Moses was the one that brought the word of instruction to Aaron, right? So if Moses has abandoned us, does that mean our God has abandoned us? Does that mean we're in this land, vulnerable, exposed, and we don't have a God's presence with us? So Aaron's fears rise. And even though just 40 days ago he commits to being faithful, his fears are louder than his faith. Yeah, I think I'm messing this up. Uh, and we can learn that acting out of fear and what seems like the apparent silence of God, the absence of God, this is a breeding ground for disobedience. Aaron's fear is louder than his faith. And we see that when his fears and uncertainties are loud and God's word has left the forefront of his minds, he turns to a solution that's crafted by, our own ha- by his own hands. And in the ancient Near Eastern system of beliefs, you know, uh, the presence of a god of a deity was thought to dwell on top of, of an idol, an object. And so it's common knowledge that uh, if you, you know, didn't have a presence of a god with you, you used your own hands to make that presence. And Israel has just spent the last 400 years living in a land where this is what you do when you don't feel the presence of a God with you. So when Aaron forgets his God, when he forgets his promise, he turns to a solution that the worldview of his time offers. It's muscle memory. And he creates this bull and which is supposed to represent a powerful God, and he's right on that front, but that's not Yahweh. This is a God of his own making. Creating your own security, and the danger of it is something that passages in Scripture constantly, constantly warn about. I think of uh, just the kings of Israel and how in Deuteronomy they're warned, hey, don't build up for yourself lots of money, don't get lots of chariots, don't uh, get lots of wives, because these are all ways of securing uh, their own safety. See, if they had lots of money, you obviously have power there. If they had a big army, they wouldn't have to worry about the nations around them. And if they had lots of wives, that meant they formed treaties with the nations all around them, and they don't have to worry about attack. These are all forms of securing their own feelings of safety. And like Aaron, we act out of fear and silence too. And if we turn to something that isn't God, we're going to turn to something that makes us feel safe, whether that is something uh, related to money, about power, a person, a relationship, uh, feelings of affirmation. Uh, we will turn to a security that we can tangibly make with our own hands. Israel spent the last 400 years uh, in this nation where this is how you do this and we don't have to look very far in how this world does it, you know? We live in a world that offers security in ways other than trusting God. They're idols. And Tim Keller, he defines an idol as, as taking something and it could, be, it could be flat out a bad thing, it could be something neutral or even, you know, generally good and it's making that thing the ultimate thing. So it's making something other than God the ultimate thing. It's your source of security. 
So having power or influence or you know, people you love around you, these aren't bad things, obviously, but if they're the things that you turn to first in moments of insecurity, moments of fear, then they could be idols. What does our heart go to first in, our, in these moments? And the reality is, these idols, whatever it may be, in this passage, it's this, it's this bull, right? But they are never meant to save. And that's made plain uh, and obvious when Moses comes back down, and as quickly as they decided to turn away from God, Moses, in the same amount of time, has destroyed it. He has obliterated it. And he has forced them to drink its ashes uh, and taste this, the vileness of the disobedience that they had committed. So when fears and uncertainty are loud and God's word has left the forefront of our minds, we will turn to a solution that's crafted by our own hands and ultimately it will fail. Like Aaron, the pressure of real moments of fear and insecurity, they reveal cracks in our faith. So for Aaron, you know, looking back, there's that big contrast between him uh, um, saying that he's going to obey the Lord and him disobeying. That for Aaron, there is a learning curve uh, where he needs to learn that Yahweh is not a God who is bound to a figure. He is not a God who is bound to a country like what was thought about the regional gods at the time. The pressures of his circumstance reveal gaps in his understanding of the Lord. They reveal gaps in his own personal faith. They reveal cracks. And along with the temptation to seek uh, man-made forms of security, uh, pressures and fears and insecurities, they, they, they weigh on our faith and can reveal gaps in our understanding, gaps in our own personal relationship with God. And we don't have to really think very far back when we think of pressures, right? I mean, you probably don't want me to reference it because it's better to be forgotten, but this last year was constant pressure. It was a leveling field. Everyone felt the effects of the pandemic. We felt knocks. We couldn't meet as a church. We couldn't uh, see family. We couldn't see friends that we loved. It was a lot of isolation. A lot of struggles emerged from it. We saw people that we trusted fail us. We saw acts of evil at the hands of people we have been taught to trust. This year had no shortage of pressure. And it's natural to want to forget the things that happened in this last year, right? It's natural to want to forget those pressures. Now, you know, there's a vaccine rollout. Things are getting a bit more normal. But the reality is, is just because the tide has gone out for the moment doesn't mean those cracks have been solved. Doesn't mean they've been resolved in our lives. And the reality is, is that the tide is going to come back in in some form. Hopefully it's not on the scale that it did in this last year, but whether that's internally in your mind or, or uh, in your family unit, pressures are going to still come. And if not dealt with, the cracks will be there. And so I want to encourage you and urge you to not be like Aaron, <laughs> not be like Israel, who they forgot their God, and forgot 
uh, how powerful it is, but I want to remember you uh, and urge you as well that uh, to think on the ways this last year hit you. So whether that's in your families or in your, uh, your groups or just personally, asking these questions of, man, how was this last year? Like, what came up? What, what doubts did you have? Did you doubt God? Did you doubt your own personal faith? Did you doubt scripture? Did you believe, you know? We saw people that we trusted turn. And that is not an easy thing to do. And that shows cracks in our lives. So I want to encourage you, how can you step into those hard but good questions of choosing to patch up those cracks? As people, you know, children of God, we can really grow accustomed to knowing what to do in the loud extremes of life. Uh, when things are going terribly, and to use the story of the Israelites, you know, when uh, they're going through the Red Sea and the chariots of Egypt are charging behind them, they have no choice but to trust God in that moment because their own faculties, uh, faculties have easily been overcome. They need to trust. And when uh, life is good, when Israel gets to the other side of the Red Sea, no one has to tell them, hey, start worshiping God. They just start singing songs of praise off the cuff. But it's, what do you do in the middle? What do you do in the time of waiting? What do you do when Moses is gone for 40 days? And I think that most of our life is spent in this in-between time, in the weekly in and out, in the mundane. And in these times, even though things, uh, loud things aren't happening, our own fears and insecurities can be loud in our ears. And at most of all, God can seem silent and he can seem unresponsive. And our fears and, uh, can ring loudly in our ears in these times. But it's in these times that uh, we must hold fast. We must hold fast to what God has already said as we wait for him to speak once more. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we just give you praise today. We give you praise for just your mercy you have upon us, God. It's for the ways that you uh, show your mercy to us, your forgiveness to us when we put up things uh, for security that aren't you. Lord, I pray that today, uh, through you know, hearing about Aaron, and uh, that we would see how... Um, we need to ask some questions, God, that we need to, to do the good, hard work of patching those cracks. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would inspire that work in us and you would bring things to mind to that end. Lord, we thank you for the fathers today. We thank you for the way that you are a father to us. Uh, and we pray that we would model uh, your strength and your love and your service that you show. I pray all these things in